they were handing out uh, Big God Little Church things for you. The conference, unfortunately, was not publicized well enough, and it's this Sunday evening. We went to it last year, if you remember, but we were able to uh, work in a uh, Sunday where we were had voted ahead of time to cancel church that evening in lieu of that event. Uh, since we don't have a chance to vote to do that, uh, I'm not going to try to cancel church uh, without a business meeting. So uh, if you want to go to that, again, it's First Baptist Church Tulsa. Uh, you can see the breakout sessions will be there. If you're interested in going, we need to know as soon as possible because we have to tell them for lunch, dinner, you know, arrangements like they did last time. So if you're interested in going, you'd like to go again, maybe that's great. I encourage you to go. I will have to be here to do church. So if you are interested, I encourage you to go. I think still think it's a great thing, uh, but but I just wanted to let you have that because the guy called me today and emailed that to me. First uh, John chapter three we'll be looking at tonight. First John chapter three. <laughs> <clears throat> and you will see that also in your email. Uh, you get a church note that came on your email as well tonight. The love of God is more than we can understand. But as First John says, he lavished, First John 3, he lavished it upon us. And, and how do we respond to that? What do we do? How great is the Father's love? The word is there, lavished, overabundance. I think there's some truly magnificent things that can happen in a person's life. I think uh, building relationships with people, friends that you meet for the first time. I have friends that I made like this church and other churches I have been at over the years. And I see them, uh, have discourse with them, you know, on social media and other things. Uh, and it's really amazing that, you know, you can build a bond that lasts for years. I have some friends that, uh, you know, again, most of my friends are church friends, uh, that we can pick up right where we left off, which is really great to have those kinds of relationships. Another thing I think is great is, well, the earth is great. I mean, look at it. Look at creation. Uh, look at the expanse of the oceans. Think of the Pacific or Atlantic, whichever one you maybe have seen, or just across the country, the places that you visited and the, the wonders that you have seen across this nation. Remember, we stayed uh, in the Grand Canyon, and we stayed outside the Grand Canyon in a, in a park, and it was like being inside a potpourri. I mean, it just, the fragrance of the trees was uh, astounding, and then the next day to see the Grand Canyon, all those wonders that are here. And you think of that vastness and, and the life that is there. You go to the ocean and think of what is below the sea that you can't see. Occasionally, you know, we'll see them on television or something like that. Uh, we went recently to Jinx and went to the uh, aquarium. And, you know, walked through the, the, the shark thing and looked around and thought that was really neat. And just think of all the fish that are here in Oklahoma I never see. But around the world, all the different kinds of things that are there. I've seen blizzards, I've seen tornadoes, I've seen thunderstorms, and there is some raw beauty in all of that. Uh, when you look at that, it's magnificent when you think what's possible. If you think more personal nature, uh, the love of a man for a woman, a husband for a wife, parents for children, 
And that relationship, or ones like it, give us an understanding of what a union is, what a relationship is. That sort of love that is willing to give more than it takes. I look at that and I think about those people who have, because of that relationship, grown from a a seed to maturity. They've grown up and they've seen things. They bloomed, they developed. They've developed other uh, families and they have grown. I, I even think of a seed. My daughter's got the whole backyard now she's she's there's flowers in the house there's flowers on the porch there's flowers outside there's all sorts of things growing and she's starting them from scratch and every time we go home we look at the stuff that she's got out i'm just amazed with all that there is and to think that you can take a seed put it in the ground and it grows and it gives me food and nourishment from that little small beginning of just a seed when i think of those things and i consider the outstanding splendidness of all all that the wonder of that it's amazing maybe for you it's a well-written song maybe it's a song that touches you when you hear it either on the radio or here at church maybe it's when the birds begin to sing we don't have a lot of trees in our neighborhood where we live uh and i come out here and it's like you shut up <laughs> it's just like so many birds like i can't but you know really it, at some point it is kind of pretty but i'm not used to that you know all the chirping and everything right outside the window uh, or I, I i think of the sun when it comes out in the morning or maybe that's not your thing maybe your thing is something else like the the hum of a perfectly balanced v8 engine when it's rolling down the highway yeah that's what really you know puts a, a beat in your heart or maybe that time alone with god where you spend time with him and get close to him where and how we live is amazing and the reason that it's amazing is because of God and what he has lavished on us read with me in first John chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and and that is what we are The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Verse 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God sees the remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Verse 10, this 
is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Tonight's message lavished with love comes from this passage of scripture as we read it and there in first john 3 there in that first verse he lavished on us his love over and far above so when i read that text when i look at that i i see the roles of the father and of jesus and of the holy spirit in those 10 verses the three persons of the trinity who are all involved in our salvation and the position of the father has put us in because of his great love because of what he's done to connect with us i think the interesting thing is often that we think we're the instrument of our own salvation in some way but you read this passage and it is in fact made clear that it is god who made it possible in doing so so I want to look at four things quickly tonight. First, as the Father, we look at what is lavished on us from the perspective of the Father. You look at the first verse, he bestows his love on us, gives to us. I bestow, I give something away. Uh, if I give you something, I bestow it. And we look at that first verse, and it was a choice of the Father to give us his love and the word used in the NIV, which I read tonight, was the word lavished on us. That means he is generous or extravagant. It is a quality that is over and above on his love for us. Um, there are some people who I have met over the years who just love about that much. <laughs> you know, it's like I do what I have to do because I know... If, because the way they react and what they do with their lives and how they relate to me, I, I just can't get so involved with them because they drag me down. I express the love of God to them. I try to help them. But there's some point at which they just refuse. They're like the people that's talked about in this verse. They're, they're like the devil. And they don't really want to see the love of God. But you try. I think that we might be called his own children should change us. We ought to be different because of that. You look at verses uh, 1 through 2. John goes on as far to say is that that is what we are. Not what we'll become, but it's what we are. We're the children of God. We're God's children. And as God's children, we need to recognize how that happened. It was no mean feat for Jesus to make that happen, right? to put us in a place where we could be adopted, to be accepted and beloved, uh, to be made sons and daughters of the king. We have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. It's not a passing one. I told you that I worked for you know foundation before and I dealt with people's inheritance that they gave away to their families and or charitable causes. We were involved because it was a charitable cause, a nonprofit. 
Uh, and so I dealt with a lot of inheritances. And I, I sat down with people and I watched them divide up what they had and who they gave it to. And then they would tell me the reasons why they were doing it. I really didn't need to know. But, you know, they, it was cathartic for them to talk about it. Well, I gave that kid $10,000, so we're not going to give them anything. Now, this one. And then they would go down the list of why they were doing what they were doing with the inheritance. Or I had one guy, this was out in southwestern Oklahoma, we were doing a, a, a building program for the state convention. And uh, I went out to see him, and he said, I want to give all of my money to you guys, because if I leave it in town and give it anywhere in town, everybody will be jealous. Isn't that, isn't that sad? That they couldn't leave an inheritance that would make people happy because they would be jealous of what they did or did not get. I'm grateful that God lavished his love on us so that I don't have to be jealous of you. He's given you more than enough. He's given me more than enough. And we are called his children. I think there's also a mystery about that eternity, that eternal inheritance, in that John says, what we will be has not been made known. There's something more. But now we are his children, and one day we'll be like him. Now, I'm not talking about we're going to be like Jesus with long hair and blue eyes, you know. Uh, I'm not going to be, I, I won't look like Jesus. I, I, incidentally, I believe that a lot of people are going to be surprised what Jesus looks like because <laughs> I don't think he's blonde hair and blue eyed. Uh, that picture you and I saw on Grandma's wall I don't think is accurate of what Jesus really looked like from where he was born. But I think John here is going toward the idea of us perfected in resurrection. Uh, we, we don't have any idea what it's going to be like when we're resurrected. You know, we're in this body now that's falling apart, but God has lavished his love on us in Jesus, and one day we will be like him. And how he is now, resurrected in a perfect body. That's what the Father has done. But what has the Son done? God as the Son, as Jesus. Well, you look there in verses 4 and 5, he died for our sins. You, you, you see clearly that, that there's something that everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. That, those verses tell me in 4 and 5 that, that Jesus came because none of us was spotless. We could not even offer ourselves up to God because none of us were sinless. Jesus came so that we could have freedom from sin, be cleaned from the guilt that comes because of sin. The shame that's related to that guilt is an insidious thing. It drags somebody down. I read a, a passage about shame from the University of uh, Nichols State University. And here's the quote, a couple paragraphs, just listen to what they're saying. Shame is at the root of low self-esteem. People who feel shame feel bad about who they are. This differs from feeling of guilt, which is related to thoughts and feelings and actions. Those who experience the pain and the shame have a negative, erroneous belief about their inherent abilities and worth. Large dosi of Doses of unhealthy guilt can cause someone to feel shame and its negative effects. Social abilities, they go on to say, are impeded when one feels burdened by shame. 
A person may have a, a pattern of avoiding social interactions which can lead to a lack of development and social skills because of shame. They avoid intimacy with others and only have superficial relationships which deteriorate over time in stress because of shame. Isolation, loneliness are serious consequences of shame. Self-condemning attitudes and negative self-talk reinforce the shame and ultimately lead to self-loathing and self-sabotaging behavior. How great is the love of God that he came to remove all that, that shame and guilt. He came to take it all away. Yes, we've sinned, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, no need for shame and guilt. It's been taken away. That's how Jesus lavished his love on us. And, and when we accept that love that the Father's given us through Jesus, we find that Jesus takes that guilt and sin from us and that resulting shame. I think it's the love that the Father has lavished on us that allows us to be set free from sin. If we confess our sins, again, we can be free. That's something that happens, I think, in our mind and in our spirit when we're willing to take that step and, and listen to that conviction in our heart. It's something that releases us, I think, not only spiritually but physically and emotionally from that burden. And it is a burden to carry that guilt and to carry that shame. But we can be freed from it. You go on to think what Jesus also did. Verse 8, if you have there, uh, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus destroyed the work of the devil, verse 8. So John points out, I think in that verse, that Jesus appeared to take it away, to, to wipe it out. I was interested in that passage that I read to you earlier from the university those who experience the pain of shame have negative, erroneous beliefs about their inherent abilities and worth, about who they are, about who they are. I think that spiritually is, is reinforced by the principalities and powers that you and I fight. You know, it, it's not the people that are my problem. It's the power behind the people that motivate them to act the way that they do. And to think that the way they do. It's, you know, we, we joke about an angel or a devil on our shoulder, but he does speak to us, doesn't he? We hear those negative thoughts. Are you really forgiven? You don't really act like you're forgiven. Could you really ever be forgiven? You're not forgiven. And we hear those negative things, and then we begin to doubt ourselves. We, we get wrapped up in that shame and that negative self-talk. Even as believers, I think we're reminded in the spirit that the devil is still around working against us. He's the accuser, the liar. It's like Job. Really? Job's that, you know, if you did this to Job, he wouldn't bless you. And he still does that today to you and I. The works of the devil, though, have been destroyed by Jesus. There's no power in it. Where's the sting? It's gone. He's taken it out. I, uh, one time on the back porch, had killed um, a wasp, you know, hornet or something like that. 
And I thought I had picked all the pieces up, but I left the stinger, and I found it. (laughs) That was not fun. You know, it was still there. Even though it wasn't attached any longer, I found that stinger, and it hurt. But Jesus took the stinger away, didn't he? He destroyed the work. The scripture tells us in James 4, 7, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the way out. Satan cannot overcome you. You have to give in to him. He's not more powerful than you are. Jesus is already beating. He's already defeated. He's already been neutered. He has no power. It's whether we give him that power, whether we agree with him that we are of no value, or we agree with him of that sin. I was recently uh, able to listen to a representative of an organization called Invade. Uh, they were talking about how they're trying to free women and children from uh, sex trafficking in Southeast Asia. In his discussion, in his talk about that, he was initially concerned that he would be found out and harmed. I can understand that. You're getting into somebody's business and you're tearing it apart. Maybe they will get upset and come after you. He, however, realized it was those who carried out this forced sexual exploitation of their fellow humans that should be the ones who were afraid. Because when God shines a light on dark places, people scatter. When things are brought to light, when God's vision of what is right is shown to a community and they recognize sin as what it is, it takes away the power. When he realized that, he went out and did more than he had ever done before. I think that verse 8 tells us again, Jesus destroyed the work of the devil. And that is a victory that you and I need to claim. We need to claim it again and again. That he has no power over us. And that we will encounter dark things in our life, but they can't get at us. I've been quoting C.S. Lewis recently because I've been reading, rereading C.S. Lewis. And uh, um, you know The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you know that the, the book, the allegory is what it is. He wrote it to try to explain Christianity. And in the book, uh, there is the great lion called Aslan that's uh, a representative of Jesus is. And so through this book, it, it, it's, it, they have an experience, these four children step into a wardrobe and go into this land. And if you've ever read it, you may need to reread it. But Susan, one of the characters, is talking to their uh, a set of beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Uh, and he talks about Aslan, and she asks, is he a man? Mrs., Mrs., Mr. Beaver sternly says, certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood. He's the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Oh, Susan said, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And make no mistake, Mrs. Beaver said, if there's anyone that can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either brave most or else just silly. Again, think about appearing before God. They're trying to tell an allegory here. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy, the sister. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, 
but he's good, and he's the king, I tell you. It's not safe to fall in the hands of God, but it's a place where we can be forgiven, cleansed. There are many people who will fall in the hands of a judging God one day because they did not turn from their sins. They didn't believe that they had value and that God had came for them. The world is not always understanding Jesus' victory. They don't always want to accept it. They don't want to acknowledge it. Accepting the victory and being subject to the king are two different things. Even us who believe Jesus, if we don't submit to him, it's, it's different. Is he safe? No. He may take you somewhere you don't want to go. He may make you do something you're not prepared to do. But he says he'll help you in that if you're willing. Eventually, everybody will be subject to Jesus. Philippians 2.10 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. At some stage, every non-believer will bow their knee to Jesus. It will all happen one day. The question is whether they do it willingly now or later. If you read later in the book of John, he tells his readers that they will encounter spirits that are opposed to Jesus. But remember, he says this, Yes, dear children, you are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 1 John 4.4. 4. That's a verse we need to remember. Remind ourselves when we see the evil in the world, when we see darkness in the world, when we fight the principalities and powers of the world, we need to remember 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the Satan is still in the world, still loose. I know some people may make fun of the idea of a literal Satan, but Jesus talked with that literal Satan. Jesus talked about a literal hell And Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Maybe we should pay attention because it's real. But you know what else is real? The love of God. The love of God. And through Jesus, we have, he says, the victory. We should live in that victory with the the idea that the Father has done something, the Son has done something. And now we look thirdly at the role of the Holy Spirit In verse 3 and 24, we can read how he now dwells in us. Over the past few months, I've discussed a couple times how that that we have an advocate with the Son. He's the the one that goes in between. We talk about the Holy Spirit and how he interprets for us. We look at God's love, his wisdom, his gifts, the fruit of the Spirit that he sends us through the Holy Spirit. He's an encourager. He's a comforter. He's a helper. He helps us in the moments when we pray, and we don't even know what to pray. When I read that, I I see that you and I, as believers, have a God who lavishes us with these things, things that we could not possess were they not poured out upon us. We couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't encourage ourselves enough. We couldn't comfort ourselves enough. We certainly couldn't do enough good to be accepted. So what is it that we should do? Knowing that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in that. Well, I think the first clue is that John points out that no one who lives in God continues sinning. 
pretty good clue. I mean, if you've got some people who continue to live in sin, I think there's a problem. Well, I, I know there's a problem because the Spirit of God, I know that he lives in me, but occasionally I make mistakes just like you do. But what he's talking about here in 1 John is someone who continues to sin. It's, it's they've, they've messed up and they've repented, supposedly, and then they do it again and again and again and again. The idea there is continually sin. That they continually do the same sin over and over and over and over again. And even though they supposedly give lip service to, to repentance, it never changes their actions. I look at it this way. If your intention is to sin, you don't really understand the value of your relationship that you have with God or that you even know God, I would question. I don't think you can. I mean, it's what he says. You, if you really knew God, you wouldn't do these things. And so he points out that it's because of his incredible love that we can have forgiveness. And if we're still sinning in the midst of that lavished love on us, there's a problem. There's a problem. Sin versus lavished love. There should be no comparison. Really. Why would I want to sin when I have all this in God? I have freedom. I, I don't have to worry about guilt or shame. I can be forgiven. I can have an eternal life, an inheritance. All of that is offered to me because of the lavished love of God on me. John also tells his readers not to let anything lead them astray. That the person who intentionally sins is of the devil, but the one born of God does not remain in that sin. It's, they're characterized by sin if they're of the devil, or they're characterized by love if they're of the Lord. So John sums it up, I think, and he gives a nod on what constitute what a child of God is when he says that. You know, if you keep living in a way that's a slap in the face of God, it's going to take some repentance to change your life. Real repentance. If you read in the Old Testament, Psalm 5, 14, save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me and my tongue will sing your righteousness. Or read Psalm 51 where David, because of the sin of Bathsheba, wrote out that whole song, against you and you only have I sinned, God, he says. Oh my gosh, he, he, he took Bathsheba, he had her husband killed, he lied to people, he forced other people to cover up his sin, all this stuff that happened, and yet he recognizes that it was against God that he really was sinning. These others are just the things that he did to get there. But that song shows the actions of a man who returned to God and had life again. It's possible. Do the right thing. Love God and accept his love. Living for God and serving everybody else. That's really what we're here for. Living for God, loving God, loving other people. Love so much that God lavished his love on us that we might be called the children of God. That's, that's true freedom. So... If we go forward, what do we do? Well, if we're going to advance, then we have to recognize that there is healing that's available. 
healing for one another, healing for community, healing for a nation that's broken. But it'll only be healed because of the love of God. There's a place where you can publicly declare your desire to live a life that is free to love and be loved. A life free from sin, a life that understands showing the greatness of God is not weakness. To recognize that I need to ask for forgiveness is not weakness. Where is this place where all that happens? It's the in the arms of a loving God who lavishes you with all of this if you will turn to him. Let's go to uh, opportunities for prayer requests tonight.